everybody. Welcome to our show. I'm Liz. And I'm Taylor. This is a podcast for and about the town we love. And now we're talking Darien. Hello and welcome. Today is November 1st. And today we have three women coming in to talk with us about the Thriving Youth Task Force's 2021 student survey results. Ooh, I'm just going to abbreviate that to TYTF, which is what they call that, Taylor. <laughs> and uh, TYTF actually is a volunteer coalition underneath Darien's Community Fund. And if you don't even know what Darien Community Fund is, that's one of our largest nonprofits in town. They're doing great things. And TYTF themselves are dedicated to um, promoting our kids' mental and physical well-being. Yeah, and I'm particularly interested in seeing these results. This is uh, the fifth time they've done the survey since 2008, but this survey was conducted during COVID. So I think it's going to be particularly eye-opening for everyone, and uh, let's get to it. Yeah. Thanks, Taylor. Georgette, Allegra, Emily, thank you guys so much for coming today. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for having us. Uh, you know, because since we usually actually don't have three guests, so maybe you guys can each go around and introduce yourself so we hear your voices a little bit and say, um, you know, what your role is and, you know, who you really technically work for as part of this. Uh, sure. I'm Allegra Erickson. I'm the co-chair of Thriving Youth Task Force, um, and I'm a volunteer. I'm Emily Larkin. I am the Thriving Youth Program Director at the Community Fund of Darien, and I coordinate the efforts of the Thriving Youth Task Force. And I'm Georgette Harrison. I'm the Director of Clinical and Community Partnerships at the Child Guidance Center of Southern Connecticut. And uh, alongside Allegra, I am the co-chair of Thriving Youth Task Force. Very good. Fantastic. I think I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's dive right into this. You guys have just released the results of your 2021 survey of our kids. Um, And this was a big one for me. I was looking forward to hearing the results because not only did you survey our kids on their substance abuse habits, but also on their mental health. And unusually, you were actually in the field in February of 2021, like right in the heart of COVID. So what do you think the biggest takeaways were from this survey? There were a couple of different things. Uh, One thing that stands out for me is this is the first year that we were able to gauge um, any mental health uh, concerns that the students had. And again, it was in February. So what was most surprising was that 46% of our students were reporting that they were experiencing high levels of sadness, anxiety, and loneliness. That's wow. uh, quite a big number. 46%. Okay. Terrible. Thanks, Georgette. Um, the next big takeaway was um, year over year from 2014, 2018 to 2021, um, the substance use in our students has decreased, which is good news. Um, And looking at the data and understanding why students are choosing not to use alcohol specifically, um, one of the biggest drivers is their parents and the uh, involvement of their parents in their lives and their parents willing to set rules and guidelines in their home. Awesome. And a third takeaway I think that's worth highlighting is this was the first year we asked students about their sources of stress and pressure. And we found as young as seventh grade, students were reporting high levels of stress due to getting good grades, getting into a good college, standardized test scores, and meeting parents' expectations. So that's something that we want to be paying attention to. Absolutely. I mean, like, where do we dive in? I know. know. There's like three very different, very important things. But Liz, I don't know if you mind. I go Taylor's excited. No, I I really, I hope that if any (laughs) parents are listening and we've got them for five minutes instead of the whole podcast, can we dive in Allegra on advice for parents and what parents can take away from this about how they can impact their kids? 
Um, sure. Um, so one thing that's unique about the survey this year is that we had one survey that was asking the students their, um, I guess, developmental assets of uh, what, what's going on well in their lives and coupled with the substance use patterns. And from that, we were able to tease out clusters of students, and one of which are students who do not drink alcohol. And these students are from seventh to 12th graders. Um, and using the algorithms, we were able to understand that the students are saying things like, I'm choosing not, to, I'm not drinking because my parents have set the rules in my house and I don't want to disappoint my parents. Or my parents know where I am and they're, they're um, asking me questions, they're involved in my life. And there's a, a strong communication line between parents and children. So, so what I felt was encouraging is that um, as a parent, um, I have the opportunity and I have more say and um, an I have more opportunity to influence these decisions my, my children are making. Um, it's, you know, that's it's, a good point though, because you know, you think that the old myth to that Allegra actually is that it's peer driven in my opinion. I, well, and that's, I think that's what a lot of us assume is that it's their friends, it's a situation, um, or even it's, um, some stress related reasons they're, they're drinking. And we can talk more about that. Uh, but the, the number one factor was, uh, that parents had sent clear bound, boundaries and rules in the home. One thing that, um, you know, Tracy mentioned during, um, as one of our panelists, um, she mentioned this idea of a frame, that as a parent, you set the frame for your child. And, you know, I have a four-year-old, so I'm always thinking about, you know, parenting from the perspective of a four-year-old parent, but I think it applies, right? So my daughter loves to get up on the couch, likes to jump off. She, you know, she thinks she's a superhero. She, this is what they do. Totally. Right? Mm -hmm. It's her job. It literally, it is her job to jump off the couch <laughs> to say like, are you really serious? Are, 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 what's going to happen if I do it? Besides, this is so awesome. You know, whatever. I'm, I'm willing to take whatever consequence you, you've got coming my way. But it's my job to continue to, you know, get up and pick her little body and say, I need to help you listen because this is not safe. And it's my job as your parent to keep you safe. Now, I think with teenagers, it's exactly the same thing. It's their job to continue to push against this frame, to push against every single thing that you're saying, like, this is what I need to do to keep you safe. But that's exactly the wrong time to stop setting the frame, right? It's your job because it's, this is a safety issue. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I think thinking of it as a safety issue helps me understand the seriousness yeah. When I think of safety, I think of this could really harm you, and it really can. And one of the things that uh, we've reported or we've, we've heard is that parents kind of give up at some point. And, um, and that's as kids are getting ready for college, and we can talk about some of the reasons we, you know, the parents may be doing that. Um, but that vigilance or that parent involvement and rules are really important all the way through. And the thing that we also want to mention is that it's the student's perception of what their parents disapprove of. So at a time when most parents, even the most vigilant parents, are probably not having as many conversations with their kids about, look, this is, these are the family rules. These are the things that we expect you to do um, and, and that we approve of. It's actually at a time when at least a student's perception is that their parents are no longer disapproving of underage drinking as much. 
So, you know, but we know that the, the students who aren't drinking are the ones that are saying, I'm not drinking because my parents have set these really clear, explicit messages about this is how you stay safe. Interesting. So there was, yeah, the parents that I guess kind of give up and, and there isn't that strict or, or it's clear a message to the kids. Up. But then there's also the parents, and I know this was presented as a myth, the parents that want to teach their kids to drink before they leave, right? And that, I'll admit, like I fell into that category. I thought that might make sense because I know I went to college in a period of time when you know, pills could be slipped into drinks. I think that's still the case. And I was worried about sending my kids to school, not kind of knowing how to take care of themselves. But now I, please elaborate, but the data shows that it's better every year we can wait, the better chance they have of not developing significant problems related to alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So for every year that a student can delay alcohol or substance use, the less likely they are to develop a substance use disorder later in life. And I think that's a good point, this idea of, you know, how do we prepare kids um, as they go off to college when we're no longer around as parents to be able to be as protective of them? How do we keep them from having something dropped into their drink? I think there's still ways of having those conversations and saying of being mindful of how to keep yourself safe without it necessarily saying, like, it, it, it's okay to drink. Or here, let me um, find ways to show you sort of where your limit in alcohol use is because this is coming at a time when their brain is also developing at a very rapid pace. The more you drink, the less likely your brain is to be able to develop the way to its fullest potential. Well, it sounds like the common thread here is like it's going down to communication, right? What you just said, Georgia, a little bit ago, and like restart that, it's the perception of the kids that the parents are checked out. It's not actually maybe the reality, but the fact that like maybe that communication is lessening and it sounds like like you're talking about a solution here. You know, if you're communicating, you don't have to teach your kids how to drink. You just communicate to them about what is the way to drink or how to do it. Um, I want to go back to what you mentioned. And I don't know, maybe um, Emily, you want to jump in on this, but why are parents checking out? Are they actually checking out and why? I think that's a really good question. As a non-parent in the room, I might... <laughs> Pass this one to Allegra, who's got some teenagers. But um, you're looking at the data. I mean, you're a data girl. Come on. That's <laughs> yeah, fair. Sorry, go ahead, Allegra. Um, I do think it is um, culturally acceptable in our town um, to be permissive. And so as a parent, you are... Um, constantly being challenged not you know, our kids as they grow up are supposed to be pushing away from us developmentally and and forging their own path and so in our town i believe not like other towns that um, this is uh, an acceptable behavior for teenagers especially as they're about to leave for college so i would say it's also having teenagers it's hard there's um there's a lot of communication there's um I would say it has to be consistent, and with your partner, it needs to be consistent, and there needs to be appropriate punishment when their rules are broken. Um, and these are hard things. Well, I think it's hard to be the uncool parent, right? It's hard mm -hmm. to be an uncool kid, even harder to be an uncool parent, I think. And no one wants to do that, but I, I'm encouraged by the fact that you know roughly half of kids aren't drinking. That's better than I kind of thought it was. I hope that's you know, accurate self-reporting on behalf of our kids. Okay, you know what? So that's interesting you just mentioned that. I wanted to go back to that, what we started with, about half the kids. So you guys did this in February, which is, you know, we were in the middle of COVID, February 2021. I'm losing track of time here. Um, so you do this in February, and if I were to play devil's advocate on this survey at the time, I would say 
a lot of kids are home, so they don't have the, and parents are home, so they don't have the access to mm-hmm. alcohol that they would have. I'm sure you've heard this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what For do you sure. say about this? We believe the same thing. Yes. Oh, so you think rates, so the rates might actually be higher than they were. Yes. Ooh, that's okay. alarming. The nice thing is that the trend has been positive in that the it had been decreasing. It may not be decreasing to the extent we saw in this data because of the COVID yeah, impact. I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I was a punk kid. I did wild stuff. I mean, so well, my you wanted your parents to go out of town so you could do this. So parents are home all the time during COVID. You can't get up to any naughty stuff. So, I, I mean, I would just think... <laughs> that's my, my take on, on some of the data there. I think it what it's something that makes me nervous because uh, as we have emerged from COVID, we've been very, everyone has been enthusiastic on going to parties and events and really being excited to see each other. And so it would be interesting to see what the data looks like at this moment in time to see what the usage rate is for our students. Right. And you guys actually talked also about Darien. You called out specifically our town, Darien. And, but in Emily, when you, when I heard you do the survey, report the survey last week to the high school, was it middle school? Where did you present last week to our board of selectmen? It was the board of selectmen that I was hearing it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you had said that this is, this is a Darien focused survey, but it, the results are applicable to a larger national standard. So uh, maybe that, that was just one part of it. Can you clarify, like, is this is this really just symptomatic of Darien? And if so, why? Or is it a greater problem? Sure. So the question is, can we compare this data set to larger national data sets? Well, certainly, I think I've mentioned at Board of Selectmen, there are other neighboring towns that use the exact same survey tool, Greenwich, for example. So we have very similar survey results to Greenwich. Um, so certainly we're not saying these problems are only issues in Darien and Darien is unique in some way. I don't think that's the case. When Georgette presented on October 20th, she referenced a national study that I might turn it over to her just so I don't butcher it. That really lines up with our results. Sure. Yeah. You're talking about the CS Mont hospitals, um, national survey on children's mental health, where it was 46% of parents were reporting that as a result of COVID that uh, their children were either exhibiting a new onset of psychiatric symptoms like anxiety and depression or a worsening of pre-existing symptoms that again 46 percent. that's exactly what we saw in terms of our our data oh interesting yeah that is interesting and so sad and i'm glad we're transitioning to the mental health i wish it to be clear there was um this is the first time you've done mental health as a part of this survey right so this is the fifth time the survey's been conducted but it's always been just substance abuse is that right Risky behaviors, I would say. So it's substances okay. for the most part, um, yes. As well as the developmental assets. So okay. what are the, the factors that are involved right. in our um, sort of, uh, teenagers' uh, temperament, personality, um, protective factors, essentially, that, are in, that come into play in terms of helping kids thrive? Yeah. And, and yeah, I like the way you position that as protective factors. It was like a great list of, you know, like tools for the toolkit for parents. Um, but yeah, it was sad that we couldn't compare it two, three years ago because of the COVID, COVID impact, but clearly it's still important. I mean, only 31% of kids are thriving. Like, do you want to talk about that at all? And, and Emily, you brought it up, like the factors that are causing stress in our kids and how those are related. So I, I think Darian is not unique in this. I think the pandemic has been hard on everyone. On you talk or mental health or like the the, the substance abuse, everything during both. Okay. okay, both. Um, but specifically for mental health uh, concerns, you know, Darian hasn't been unique. It's, it, the pandemic has been really difficult on parents. It's difficult on everyone. 
One thing that I was, um, I was thinking linked together is that during COVID, we all spent a lot more time on our screens and the teenagers reported they spent a lot more time on social media. Yes. And then if you look at our data on uh, girls' mental health, especially older females, um, a major stressor for them is social media. So that can't be ignored. And mm -hmm. um, I think that that um, certainly played out in the data that we saw. Yeah, I'd, I'd love for you to expand on the female thing. And then also, um, I mean, I don't know, I would just challenge you, Georgia, because yes, I agree, COVID was, you know, it well, didn't just hit Darien, let's be honest, like it's everywhere. But, you know, that data point that 30% of seventh graders report being very stressed about getting into a good college kind of blew my mind, like 12 years old. I think that's a Darian thing. Do you agree? My hunch, and I, I probably shouldn't hypothesize too much, is I think that's fairly common in affluent communities. Would you agree? High-performing communities, yeah. I would say that that's yeah. probably, I think you have very high parental expectations, mm -hmm. and that manifests it as good grades, good college. Um, so we talked a bit about aligning parents' expectations and making those a bit more reasonable, uh, you know, even for a seventh grader when they're thinking about, I've got to go to a certain school. So, Yeah, I think it's definitely something that it's characteristic of very achievement-oriented um, towns, but I think it's also something that's nationwide. Um, there was actually uh, an article that was written in the New York Times a, a couple of years ago that this is probably going to be the first generation that's not actually going to surpass their parents' socioeconomic status. Mm. And so I think for a lot of parents, it's quite protective, or they feel like it's quite protective to really push your kids to want to achieve more and more because it feels like things are more competitive. Unfortunately, the reality is that if we push too hard, if we stress out our kids too much, they're actually not going to be able to perform, right? They're not going to be able to achieve their goals because that anxiety becomes paralyzing. Yeah. You know, we're at a time right now in, in this country too where we, this kind of lends to this conversation of we're talking about taking away these, these measurements for kids, taking away standardized testing, taking away like AP courses, stuff like that. And, and me as a parent and someone who grew up and thrived in that, wanting that challenge, I was like, oh, you know, don't do that to the kids that want that and need that. Like, you know, don't take away that that ability to compete and excel when they where they need to, and give people the opportunity to measure themselves, like you know, and and achieve or fail and learn from that stuff. You know, don't take that away. So, some I'm people to, thrive because of that. Right, right. So I'm trying to think about like what you guys are saying. Like, if there was a takeaway, like if kids are some parents might hear this and say, "Well, this stuff is stressing kids out. Take it out. No more of these tests. No more." So, and I I want to see what what do you guys think about that, and like based on your results. I don't think there's a single solution for every child, right? I think every child has what's called a different window of tolerance for stress. Some kids absolutely thrive on being pushed hard. This is what keeps them going. They want to know how they're measuring up compared to either a national standard or the peer sitting next to them. For other kids, this is just not what motivates them. And to try to make every single child sort of fit into this particular sort of paradigm that this is what pushes kids to perform, that's actually what's harmful. It's this idea that we have, every child would thrive under that condition. It goes back to kind of what we, what we started with about like Allegra's, of your top three findings, the second one that Allegra went with, which is about the parent involved, the, the family structure and the communication, 
right? This goes back down to communication expectations for your kids. No, or my, my, I think it's a big part of it. I think having open, honest communication with your kids and the, and your kids being able to, um, tell their parents what's really going on with them and how they're feeling about it, um, is important. Um, and I think that, uh, parents having strict rules and having, um, expectations of following those rules so they're safe, uh, does not mean that they can't communicate and have an open dialogue with their kids. I think that is maybe the trickiest part, especially of the substance abuse and the mental health, is having these clear rules that will keep them safe um, and administering punishment when appropriate, but also knowing your kid um, feels comfortable to admit to you when they've messed up, when they need help, if they need a ride or something like that. So I think that is is, is really the tricky part um, when we say the communication for parents. So mm. that was your protective, what do you call it? Protective factors takeaway. I think at the end, which actually I realize now that you're talking like spans both issues, right? And that's exactly that. That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, if we can get parents to feel more comfortable, you know, setting those parameters, talking to the kids, opening community, and that was, you know, it can help on all fronts. I would think. Well, Sounds you, like, you yeah. dropped that word a little bit ago, Taylor, and I wasn't familiar. I may miss that on the presentation. Protective factors. Can you, can you break that down? It comes from the research on resilience. Okay. So this idea, so in resilience being, you know, how can we help our children sort of bounce back after a setback okay. um, and maintain good mental health? So the protective factors are really what are the things that are present in a child's life, whether it's internally um, you know, their grit, their, um, ability to sort of, you know, get back on the horse when they get bucked off. Um, but also it's the things that are happening in their environment. Do they feel like the people around them, uh, care about them? Do they have a good role model? Do they have someone that they feel cares about what happens to them? You talked about the team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Building the team, building your child's team. Right. And so, even when a child might not have a lot of internal sort of protective factors, they might have already gone through a lot in, in a young life, the external protective factors can be really, really helpful. It's what can sort of change the balance in terms of, you know, when something really bad happens, they can still maintain good mental health. Mm. Okay. And if I could add one more thought about stress and pressure, yeah. please, um, as it relates to communication, just because I think this is a nice little spicy take from a high schooler, um, <laughs> is we recently facilitated a focus group of about 30 high school students, ninth through 12th graders. So we didn't capture middle school here and we presented the data to them and we had a cool 22 year old do it. So they were riveted <laughs> and um, I was not present at this event, but we had them fill out at the end a worksheet as they reflected as students, here are the results, what resonates with you? what do you wish parents knew? That was one of the questions we asked them. And the number of students who wrote in, please stop talking about standardized tests at dinner. I don't want to talk about college anymore. I mean, the number, it was just like, please, if we could just wow. turn down the pressure a little bit. And I think along the lines of mental health substance use, if parents can keep open lines of communication, and of course you do have to talk about college sometimes, I'm sure. Um, but to hear when, like Georgette said, it seems to be bumping up beyond their level of tolerance for those conversations. Um, so that stood out to me in the student responses. You know what that reminds me of? Is when um, Jen from Darien Youth Lacrosse was talking about, I love to watch you play. Yes. Like that's it. She's like, stop 
stop when the kids come off the field counting goals the kids criticizing yeah they don't want their parents to like say like you could have done this better you should do this or would you like they don't want to analyze the game they just want the parents to say we love to watch you play right Taylor yep thank you Jen Carilla I was gonna say what that reminds me of my husband comes home from work and I've got 10 questions for him he's like don't ask me any questions I'm like come on I want to talk (laughs) um you just said something that actually was something that I've heard other people suggest about this survey that's a good timely thing to bring it up some people say like how can you trust the like the honesty of the survey with what these kids are saying. You know, some kids, they might be under-exaggerating or some might be over-exaggerating. What do you guys say to that? I think that's a good question. And it's one we get a lot. Can we trust this data? Is this reliable information? And I'm very happy to report that we have a brilliant psychologist from Yale, a man named Dr. Mitch Dickey, who has cleaned and vetted this data. He's got 30 years of experience working with massive data sets. We can really trust this information. We have a ton of confidence. We also have, and I'm sure no kids are listening to this podcast, but we have tricks built into the survey that will reveal if they're being dishonest. And wow. I can't tell you what those are, but it's it will immediately reveal if a student is just checking, yes, I've done every drug in the book, or no, I don't, you know, it, it kind of, um, we're able to separate that out. And I think each year we toss between 50 and 100 surveys. So there are surveys that are thrown out because they're not accurate. Interesting. Okay. I actually looked up what we threw out uh, just because I thought we would get that question. And it was um, around 7%. Um, and... The standard is if you're less than 10% of data that you have to clean, that's um, incredibly strong. So. Right. Thank you. Good question. What about talking about, Emily, I ask you this, um, gender roles here. You guys broke out your results between males and females, and there's clearly differences between the two of them. Um, can we talk about that a little bit? Sure, Absolutely. For the mental health data, um, and we did the same thing with the substance use data, we divided it up into four or five different clusters. And again, we'll try not to get too technical with the analysis here. Um, but the clusters for the girl or for the mental health data were students who were thriving, students who were doing okay, students who are highly anxious, and students who are vulnerable and distressed, meaning they have low level or high levels of sadness, anxiety, and loneliness. And what we found was the girls were so much more likely to be in those vulnerable and distressed categories. And boys were almost double the girls in the thriving category. So it's good news for the young men in Darien and not so good for our female adolescents. Right. Okay. So we've talked a lot about the negative stuff. What was the good news that came out of this survey? <laughs> totally. <laughs> a, a quote that was coming to mind as I was driving here tonight was Mitch, who's our brilliant analyst, who's done a ton of work, summarized the parent data this way. He said, parents are the greatest underutilized resource in Darien. That's right. And I think when we look at, especially as it relates to substance use, but certainly mental health, there are so many action steps for parents that we know make a difference. And I think that's really exciting and really empowering, we hope, for the parents who are listening. Yeah, I totally agree. What was the main thing, by the way, that parents, like the questions you got from parents or from people hearing the survey? What were some of the top questions? I think there were several questions about how do I start having this conversation with my child about, you know, that I, that I don't want to, um, I don't want them to drink. I don't want them to use drugs. I want them to delay as long as possible. How can I have this conversation with my sixth grader? And how might that look different than a conversation that I have with my 11th grader? 
um, how do I have a conversation with my kid about how they're doing mental health wise? Because I don't, I think there's often this concern that, you know, if I'm starting to ask questions, am I going to plant the seed that wasn't there to begin with? And that's absolutely not sure. true. That's not true. Not true. Cause you just say that makes me nervous. Like, like what age do you go in? Do I go into my, you know, fifth grader and say like, you know, if you're going to think about drinking, my fifth grader is sitting there trying to play video games and that didn't even cross his mind. But now he's like, maybe I want to drink. No, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> absolutely not. I mean, the okay. way that you have this conversation is different, right? You want to do it in a developmentally appropriate way. You want to answer any questions that they have. But I can guarantee you it's not. There's very few, you know, sixth graders or seventh graders that will say like, what? Marijuana? What is that? Yeah. Um, so you're not planting any seeds. If anything, again, we know that silence tends to be the biggest enemy in terms of substance use prevention. Because on on a good day, maybe your kids think that... Maybe you don't have an opinion on it or that, well, you might turn a blind blind eye on it. And on a bad day, they're going to think you're going to be totally okay with it. So definitely silence is not, not your friend here. I mean, it feels positive to me in the sense that I feel like, you know, in this world where you feel like you're all these obstacles with your raising children these days. It feels that way. It feels sometimes insurmountable when I've got, I've got three little girls. I'm like a little stressed about it. But when I hear you guys talk, even though we've, we've heard some negative results, I feel inspired knowing that I am the solution. I am the key to my own, mm-hmm. you Keep know, both hands on the wheel. To my own yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like if, if you set this up, right, if you create this for me, uh, my takeaway is if I create like the solid family foundation, if I'm commun- in, in communication with my kids and setting rules, setting guidelines, setting strict terms with them, but also allowing them the safety to communicate with me. And to feel like they're in control. Yes, in control. That was a huge one. I loved hearing that. The kids are in control. That's like the hard thing, right? Like to give them the ability to control their own lives, but at the same time, give them boundaries that they can't cross. (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot to take away that's positive from this. And I think as a parent, um, I think that there um, are, there are resources out there to help us with these conversations because it's not easy one thing that I, I uh, got from the presentation that I learned was the timing of some of these conversations. And um, in the car is a great time to just kind of lob a gentle, how was your day? Or what's going on? Or, or give them the information about your own day to kind of start that. Because it's a little bit easier when you're not looking at each other mm-hmm. to start those conversations. Yeah. The other thing I liked is that um, we have a team and the Thriving Youth Task Force is is a team of people that would be in your child's life. And we're all working towards the same goal of helping your child be the best version of themselves, helping helping them thrive. And so um, building your child's team could be their coach from football. It could be that, you know, that teacher from middle school. It could be a counselor. It could be clergy. All these people, um, I think it just is so encouraging to me that my child has people looking out for them um, and giving those my child opportunities to have those relationships because that really matters. But also, I feel like I have a responsibility in my own neighborhood when I see students and kids, and I make the effort to say hello to them and know their name because yeah. I want them to feel like they're in my neighborhood Absolutely. and I value them. And yeah. if they ever needed something, they can come to my house or knock on my door or something. So I think it's a, I think there's a parent part of it and there's a community part of it. And I think that it is a, um, I think there's a lot we can do that's positive and that feels good for us and for our students. So 
That's brilliant. And it's very much what we try to do on this podcast is promote the community and like the fabric of the community being so tightly woven. And it's neat to talk about it and think about it in respect to these situations with our kids. And we've had a couple of these mentors on the podcast. You know, Coach Forget was on. Um, Pastor Gary was on. Janice you know, yeah. the- Janice, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's so... Yeah, yes. There are a lot of resources out there for our kids in this, in this town. And I, I'm so grateful to you guys for doing this work. Um, I hope that a lot of parents are listening and benefiting from the work that you've done. I know I did. Yeah, Emily, what do you think after hearing this? You ready to have some kids? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I'd be going in with my eyes wide open. Yeah, after you definitely <laughs> seven will. years of this. Yeah. No regrets. Yeah, two hands on the wheel, like Taylor just said. Oh my gosh, my poor husband. Yeah, he, he all the time. It's a lot of data. A lot yeah, of data conversations. Data. <laughs> totally. Um, but if anyone is listening and would like to learn more about our data, you can go to www.communityfunddarien.org and click on the Thriving Youth Task Force button under the Community tab, and you can see the slide deck from our presentation, the handout that we have with us right now. You can watch the full recording. You can hear Georgette deep dive the data and then our amazing panel. And um, you'll also see on the Thriving Youth website that we have a speaker we're bringing to town on November 18th, so coming up pretty soon. Michael Thompson is a New York Times bestselling author. He wrote a really famous book called Raising Cain about raising oh, boys. Wow. Yeah. And he's also written a book called The Pressured Child about exactly what we're finding in our data that students are feeling high degrees of stress and pressure. So he will be live in Darien at the Middlesex Auditorium speaking with parents about what can we do about it. Wow. And are you guys selling tickets to that or is it first come first serve? Um, it's a free event. Uh, cool. So come bring your friends and uh, no charge. Just show up at the Middlesex Auditorium. That's amazing. And all this info, communityfunddarian.org. Perfect. Yes. Okay. Got it. I got right. it. Guys, thank you. I'm feeling positive. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> you should feel positive. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much for the work you've done. And thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you. having us.